0: Welcome to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. My name is Anna Napadier, and thanks for joining us. I recently had a chance to sit down with Matthew Steubenberg, an attorney entrepreneur who is now the associate director of legal technology at Harvard Law School. Matthew created notable and useful technology based on pain points he experienced as a practitioner in Baltimore, Maryland. So far, he has created the Not Guilty app and MD Expungement, two tools that have earned thousands of users. I chat with Matt about what it's like to create apps specifically for lawyers how he spots legal processes that can be easily automated, and what role he thinks technology and coders in particular are going to play in the practice of law. Matthew, we really appreciate you joining us on our podcast.
1: Yeah, no problem.
0: So, so Matthew, the, the reason that we wanted to have you on is that you have a record of creating some really amazing things for some great reasons, to help some people who don't have the means to get a lot of traditional help to find that help. And I want to kind of go into some of the projects uh, that you've worked on, but uh, I want to start just by asking you to introduce uh,
1: yourself. Yeah, sure. Uh, I went to Maryland Law School, and at first I didn't really have any Uh, anticipation of going into legal technology. I was a political science undergrad uh, and focused kind of around the criminal justice uh, arena in law school. And when I graduated law school, I had a little bit of a coding background and I realized that there was a lot of kind of really low hanging legal tech fruit out there. And so kind of in that transition, as I was waiting for my bar results to come in and trying to figure out what to do with this new fancy law degree, uh, I kind of set out to see if this was something that would interest me kind of going forward. And so I pulled out and dusted off some of my old code books to see if I could build a mobile app. And I I built one called the Not Guilty app. And I, I completely fell in love with kind of what I was able to create and the ability uh, that it had to help people and kind of haven't looked back since.
0: Kind of a really interesting background with respect to. The fact that you know you you had some coding experience, but as you mentioned, you were a political science major, right? You were not a computer science ma- major, and you didn't have a long history in coding. What made you kind of pick up uh, those coding books again? I mean, was it was it because uh, you were just uh, waiting around after you graduated from law school, or, or did you kind of you know see some problems out there in the world that you wanted to solve?
1: Yeah, sure, and I I try to stress this point. Uh... Uh, kind of every law student I meet that's interested in technology is that you know I took a couple of classes in high school but that was really the extent of my coding coding skills and a lot of people have this idea that in order to be a programmer you, you know you have to be one of these genius kids that you know who start at 10 years old and can solve Rubik's cubes you know blindfolded nothing could be further from the truth uh you know learning how to code is like learning anything else you can you can pick it up and if you're dedicated uh you can learn it at at any age
0: yeah and so you you started creating this uh this mobile app what led you to to uh invest your time and resources into a mobile app as opposed to just kind of creating a website that says hey my name's matthew steubenberg you know this is my background hire me or something like that i mean what led you to actually try to solve a problem with
1: yeah sure so uh i i graduated from college in 2008 which was kind of right when the recession started And so I was kind of part of that generation of really struggling to find, uh, kind of employment and, and, you know, a career. And so after law school, when I was kind of trying to figure out what my next path would be, I really wanted to find something that was kind of future proof, or at least, uh, leaned into where the economy was going. And of course that was technology and, and by 2013, when I graduated law school, uh, you could really start to see, uh, you know, apps being created for everything and, and you know we were leaning much heavier into digitizing and automating everything. And so uh, it seemed like the right path to go. And so I looked for kind of areas that I already knew and of course you know law was one of them. and I'd been a law clerk for a long time uh, at the state's attorney's office and at the public defender's office, and then finally at the uh, the courts itself. And so I had a lot of experience with um, what the clerk struggled with, how to find different courtrooms, how to find different, uh, you know, information about judges when you had to fax some stuff. And so I wanted to try to solve that problem. It seemed like a manageable problem that would fit well into an app, uh, that wouldn't require too complex technology. And so I, uh, I kind of set out to try to build a beta version just to see if it was, uh, possible and, uh, kind of once I built that first version, I realized just, uh, kind of how much technology could change.
0: Did you pair up with anyone or, or outsource any work, or was this really yours from start to finish?
1: Uh, the Not Guilty app was, was pretty much mine uh, start to finish. I have had help uh, from from a number of really great friends who have helped me along the way, and I don't by any means you know, try to hold myself out as the guy who has done everything by himself. Uh, one great person was a guy named Phil Smith, who I went to school with. Uh, and, and he was a great coder and was able to kind of help me bridge some of those, uh, initial gaps when you're learning a new skill like programming. And so, uh, I'm, I'm forever in his debt.
0: So you mentioned not guilty, uh, a couple of times. That was your first big project. And I take it that when you first created it, you didn't realize uh, the impact that it was going to have. I want you to, um, talk about what it is and how people started using it and in what numbers.
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, essentially what it is is I built it as an app initially to help law clerks and kind of fairly new attorneys navigate some of the more complex courthouses. So here in Baltimore City, especially in circuit court, uh, we have two buildings for the circuit court and there's a ton of courtrooms and different judges and they move around all the time. And so if you're trying to deliver a motion or you're trying to contact a judges chambers to let them know that you're stuck in another trial or something like that. Uh, it, it can be very difficult if you have to look up some paper form that maybe has the information that's maybe outdated and things like that. Uh, and it, that seemed to lend itself very well to an app, which can be auto updated as information changes. And then, kind of as I went that route, I realized that I could expand upon that. And so I decided to add some of uh, kind of the judge's biographical history. And so you could see what law school they went to, or you could see, uh, you know, what they did before they became a judge. And so if you're a clerk and you're interested in, uh, you know, becoming a a criminal defense attorney, then you may want to talk to a judge that had practiced criminal law before they became a judge. Or if you need an opener, you know, to to try to network or something, and they went to your alma mater, uh, that can be a kind of a great introduction line. And since then, uh, the app, has been had started to be picked up by a number of different uh, kind of even more experienced attorneys who would use it as uh, kind of a nice quick reference to find all the information they're looking for. And then finally it's used by kind of just pro se clients as well who are simply trying to find, you know, what courtroom they're in or if they're going in front of a judge, what does this judge actually look like? And how can I take away some of this mystery behind the, the, you know, the trial or the hearing that that I'm about to go to.
0: When you created Not Guilty, what was the express purpose uh, that you created it for? I mean, was it, was it meant to be kind of a networking tool? Uh, did you uh, understand the full scope and, and use of it?
1: No. Initially, it was just supposed to be for law clerks, uh, and really it started as just a Baltimore City circuit court app. Uh, and then kind of as you start to build it, you realize, oh, well, it could have a lot of uses in these other counties as well, then into these other professions and then into these you know, other groups of people. And so it, uh, like most projects, it started out relatively small, and then you realize kind of the potential. And so it just keeps growing and growing. And how did it grow? So mostly it grew uh, simply by word of mouth, right? I, I was a recent graduate, so there was no you know, advertising budget or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I was a, a member of a number of different kind of legal groups and I had my um, network of fellow law students, some of whom were also law clerks uh, or clerking for other for other law firms. And so it it simply spread that way. And I think one of the reasons it spread uh, so quickly was because there wasn't a whole lot out there that even came close to what it was trying to do. Right. And that's one of the great things about legal tech is that right now, at least, there's not a whole lot of competition if you have a really good idea.
0: How far did it spread? Can you provide us some numbers whether they're usage numbers or um, anything anything like that
1: Yeah, I, I haven't looked up the numbers in, in quite a while but I know it's been downloaded at least over 500 times
0: and I'm guessing it was used by a, a lot of pro se litigants you know who went and went to argue their cases in Baltimore city circuit courts.
1: Right. It's, it's kind of one of the interesting things. It's kind of hard to tell who your user is. Uh, all you see are kind of anonymous download statistics. And so it's kind of mm-hmm. hard to pull out which ones were the attorneys. But anecdotally, uh, I'm able to tell that at least a chunk of uh, the users and the downloads are from pro se litigants who are just interested in learning more about the courthouse.
0: So you went from not guilty, an uh, app that had you know, 500 or so downloads, to MD expungement. And yeah, before we we move on to MD expungement, I want to know from you uh, what lessons did you learn from creating Not Guilty? Uh, you clearly still liked combining coding and law, right? Because Not Guilty, you know, w- was the first and not the last piece of legal technology that you you put out into the world. So I mean, what 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 did you learn from it, and why did you decide to uh, take another crack at legal tech?
1: Yeah, so one interesting thing that I learned was I initially built the Not Guilty app for Android phones. Uh, and, you know, kind of listeners know about uh, kind of mobile apps. Usually you have to build them in one or the other, or you have to use a kind of a bridge program, depending if you want to use it in, on Android or iPhone. So initially right. I built it in Android, uh, which because I had an Android phone. Uh, and I quickly realized that lawyers almost exclusively use iPhones. And so initially I had kind of poor download performance. And so that kind of opened my eyes to really make sure, you know who your target market is and what they use. Uh, And so I had to then double down and learn objective C, which is at at the time was what iPhone apps were written in uh, and build a separate version for, for iPhone users. So
0: tell me about MD expungement. And I think this is maybe a good opportunity for me to read You know, just to our listeners, um, a paragraph on MD expungement that was actually written in the New York Times. This is a June 1, 2016 article titled Legal Aid with a Digital Twist, which I think (laughs) applies very, very well to the work that you're doing. And it goes as follows. With MD expungement, entering a case number brings it up on case search. The software then determines whether the case is expungible. If so, the program automatically transfers the information from case search to the expungement form. All that's left is to print, sign, and file it with the court. So in light of the New York Times description of of your product, how did you come to designing this, creating it, and and even before that, realizing there was a need for this kind of tool?
1: Yeah, sure. So. After the not guilty app, I, I you know, had been bitten by the kind of legal tech bug, and I was really looking forward to another project uh, that I could build. And as a recent graduate, I didn't have too much legal expertise in any one particular area. Um, I had kind of a broad, you know, swath of, of surface-level uh, kind of legal knowledge in a number of fields, but one area I really had a a fairly in-depth knowledge of was expungement law, and that's because I did expunge the expungement clinic at the Maryland University. And so uh, I decided to see if we could automate that process, because one thing I found very frustrating uh, when I did the expungement clinic was the actual determination of whether or not something is eligible for expungement, which uh, is the removal of a, a case off of someone's criminal record, is relatively objective and takes uh, relatively a small amount of time. and It's the actual paperwork process afterward, uh, filling out all the forms, filling out all the petitions, filing with the court that actually takes the most amount of time. So it seemed like an area that was very ripe for uh, computers to come in and assist in some way. And so initially I set out to build MD expungement as an app for pro se litigants, kind of the, the everyday man, to... Uh, be able to expunge their record on their own because there's there's very uh, little consequence uh, or negative consequence to filing an expungement petition. There are some, and I put warnings up against that, but unlike most areas of law, uh, it doesn't have quite as many uh, kind of negative features with it. And so it's it, it lends itself very well to an automated system where there's not necessarily an attorney reviewing it. I, I built the system. What MD expungement does is, So long as the user has their case number, their criminal case number, they can type that into the website. And what it does is it interacts with the state's website that has all this information, pulls it all in, analyzes it to see if it's eligible for expungement, and then will uh, populate all of the required forms that the user needs, and then gives them instructions on how to print them out, sign it, and then which court to actually file them in.
0: Incredible, and it does all of that automatically.
1: Right, in less than a second.
0: What technology do you use to enable this?
1: Yeah, so it, it's kind of taken many iterations over the years. Uh, for the most part, the website is built in PHP and then a little bit of Java, which are, are two programming languages.
0: Interesting. Did you have to create a kind of a partnership with the state of Maryland? I know they use Case Search. Um, or is this is their system kind of open source so you could plug right in?
1: So uh, it's not quite open source where you you could plug right in as if it was an open API or something. Um, There was never, there's no partnership, uh, at least with, in in regards to MDA expungement, but case search, the website that all this information is on, is open and there was no uh, terms and conditions that prohibited scraping or uh, kind of robot crawlers. And there was no capture or logins or a kind of a cost or a fee associated with each search. And so uh, I, really decided to just kind of go for it and see if, if it was even possible.
0: Uh, at what point did you realize that it was, it was possible? <laughs> and w- at what point did you realize this is actually, this is real?
1: Uh, yeah, so it was kind of early 2015 where I finally was able to get all of the connections, uh, made, you know, where you put in the case number, it would analyze it, it would fill in all the information and, and actually give you the PDF that you needed to print and file. Uh, and that was a great uh, moment. I got to say, a big kind of sigh of relief that all of the steps can actually come together and really uh, kind of make it make it autonomous.
0: What kind of feedback did you get from um, you know attorneys in the community and uh, potential clients in the community? About this, I mean, did you get a lot of nasty messages from attorneys saying that you're, you uh, know, kind of stealing our work? Uh, and on the other hand, uh, from clients, did you get did you get some thank yous from them for building something that can save them some money?
1: So I didn't get any kind of nasty messages from any attorneys worried that I was going to uh, steal their work. I think quite to the contrary, uh, many attorneys were grateful to have this tool to speed up their own process so they could take even more work. Right. Uh, I did get some pushback from attorneys that were worried that this was kind of entering the practice of law, the unauthorized practice of law, having kind of a computer uh, assist in this uh, process. And uh, some attorneys were kind of worried that, you know, uh, every legal matter kind of needs to have a, a human attorney there to uh, review it and and make sure that all the T's are crossed and, and I's are dotted. And my response to them was always, you know, that. In this particular case, the consequences are fairly low and the amount of cases that are eligible and need to be expunged are so high that there's just no possible way we're ever going to have a human attorney by hand review and do all of these expungement petitions without adding technology and automation in some way to the process.
0: I mean, was it a was it a smash hit right away? Did it kind of ramp up? Uh, I know that one of the reasons that you decided to create it is that there were some changes in the way Maryland handled expungements, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Right. And I w- it was a smash hit among a very small number of attorneys that practiced expungement law in early 2015. Right. And they really loved it because it sped up their expungement process. Um, but where it really took off is in October of 2015, which is when the new laws that Maryland passed uh, allowed for a massive amount of cases to now be eligible for expungement. They, uh, The the state kind of withdrew this one provision that was blocking um, the, the vast majority of cases from being expunged. And once that happened, all of a sudden, people needed a way to quickly expunge cases really fast and for hundreds and thousands of people. And, you know, as, as much as I'd like to think that I, you know, was able to see and predict where the, everything was headed, a large piece of it was I was just I just happened to be the right guy with the right website at the right time.
0: So how much did it take off? I mean, um, how many, how many, uh, people used it? How many cases were, um, you know, were searched, uh, what kind of numbers or metrics do you have on that?
1: Yeah. So, uh, the, the biggest metric I have is that so far to date, we've printed about 55,000 expungement petitions and that's Incredible. since about October of 2015. Incredible. Uh, And and we've printed enough filing fee waivers. So the website helps to automate the filing fee process as well. And we've uh, printed enough filing fee waivers to save uh, over a million dollars in court costs.
0: Now, you never charged for this,
1: right? Uh, I experimented with trying to find a model that would kind of uh, self-sustain the website. And so I did, uh, initially it was just free and I did dabble in kind of a a free account and then like a gold membership account from attorneys that were using it on a really high frequency basis. Um, But ultimately uh, I couldn't find a model that really worked well. And so I just kind of uh, removed any kind of fee barrier from the site. And right now um, the job I currently have at the Maryland Volunteer Lawyer Service, they're generous enough to let me kind of make updates to it and work on it, uh, kind of on, on company time.
0: What is the status right now of MD expungement or, or any other product that may be coming up next?
1: So MD expungement is, uh, still going strong. It's used by, um, thousands of people every year. Uh, and, and it keeps growing. I've been uh, really happy with the amount of people that have really come up to me and said, you know, this is a great website and here's some other ideas. And, it's, it's that last piece that I think is really important. You know, I have my limited kind of expertise in, in a number of areas, but, uh, you know, I, I'm far from kind of knowing every possible iteration that this website could help people with. And I've had a number of people come up to me with really good suggestions and good ideas. And just recently, we launched a Chrome extension version of MD Expungement. And so before, you kind of had to have two windows open, and you have to transfer case numbers from your your client's cases to this to MD expungement. And now with this new Chrome extension, you can actually do it even faster than before and do it all on one website, which is the, the state's case search website.
0: I wanna read you uh, something that was written about you in an article um, on uh, in the American Bar Association. And this is a uh, profile of you associated with the legal rebels award that you won in 2017. And and you say the following. Um, Actually, quoting from the article, with increased technical savvy, Steubenberg says his optimism for creating in the legal space has, legal tech space has grown. Quote, one thing I believed when I first started in legal tech was that many of the good ideas had already been taken, Steubenberg says. He now says that the area is still new and, quote, a majority of the good ideas. Have yet to be conceptualized. So my question to you, Matthew, is what's coming up next? You created Not Guilty, you created MD Expungement. Um, what is on the horizon for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a number of different projects I'm working on. And I, I really like that quote, because I, uh, I, I really believe it. And I believe it more and more every day, kind of as I go into different legal areas, as I talk to different attorneys, as I see what other people are doing, you realize just how much of what everyone's doing could be streamlined to some degree with technology. Uh, You know, every piece of paper that an attorney handles in theory, uh, you know, could be digitized and automated in some way. Uh, Every phone call could potentially turn into an an online form that could take that information directly from the client. Uh, And so there's really, uh, you know, we've only scratched the surface of, of legal technology so far. And I think we're on the precipice of seeing a lot of different and unique kind of innovative technologies coming to the legal tech sphere. Uh, specifically, what we're working on here is trying to uh, find a lot of unknown client issues that clients might have, but not actually realize it. So, mm-hmm. what frequently happens here at uh, MBLS is a client will call, and they will, uh, with some legal issue. Let's say, you know, they're a child custody matter, and so that's that'll be the legal issue that they're Calling uh, about that day, but what they might not realize is that they also have four or five other legal issues that either they know about but aren't pressing on them at the, you know, on the same level as that particular, say, child custody incident right then, or they might not even have received any paperwork about it. And a lot of times, this can be things like, uh, let's say you have a really high water bill. Well, until just recently, uh, in Baltimore City, you could have your house. Uh, sold at tax sale to pay off a relatively small water bill. And so if you didn't realize that or you're not keeping track of that water bill, uh, you could be stuck in a situation where all of a sudden your house, which may be, you know, wholly paid off is sold at tax sale to pay a $1,000 water bill. And so right now I'm working on software that uses a number of different kind of web scrapers to scrape public information uh, and different kind of algorithms to determine the likelihood of kind of, the, uh, of a legal issue taking place here. And then we're able to warn the advocate uh, and then sometimes the client as well as to uh, here are the, some of the steps you can take to mitigate this. If you're interested in us helping with you, you know, helping you as well on this issue, we can do that. Uh, and one area is with expungement. And so we're able to, let's say you call for a child custody issue, we're able to scan uh, your information and say, oh, hey, by the way, you have five or six cases eligible for expungement as well. And one of the most difficult things with expungement is actually meeting up with the client to have them sign the paperwork. The actual legal procedural stuff uh, takes relatively small amount of time. And so while you have that client in the office already for whatever matter they're there for, if you can help them with their expungement matter a property tax matter, uh, some uh, you know, tax credits they're not taking advantage of, that can really go a long way with relatively little additional cost on the organization and on the attorney's time.
0: I want to now get into um, something that you you mentioned uh, that I think is really incredible. Um, Your title uh, at the Maryland volunteer lawyer service is IT director and staff attorney, which is a a whole uh, separate podcast. But, you know, one of the things on the Maryland Volunteer Lawyer Service site um, is is, uh, the following mission statement. Um, It's written that the Maryland Maryland Volunteer Lawyer Service is combining law and technology to help low-income individuals get the legal representation they deserve. I want you to speak to that as both the IT director and a staff attorney. And uh, I want to I want to know whether you see the future of legal assistance for low income individuals really coming from and being facilitated by tech.
1: Yeah, sure. And it's a great point that especially in the kind of low income legal problem issue category that we deal with every day, the vast majority of people who actually need an attorney for their matter don't get one. And so the, the whole area is ripe for technology to come in and really help a lot of people uh, with their legal issue, right? There's, there's more failure to pay rent cases in Maryland than there are ever going to be attorneys that can help them. Right. Uh, there's more, uh, you know, cases for expungement. There's going to be more foreclosures. And th- we're never going to have enough resources where we can hire an attorney to help every single person on every single issue. And so where my job really comes in is trying to maximize technology so we can take bigger chunks of uh, kind of the people who need help and be able to kind of spread some of the new technology that's been able to, uh, that's been created recently and really uh, kind of to help the most amount of people while still using the same amount of resources that we are allocated.
0: What is your role at... Maryland volunteer lawyer service. I mean, as the IT director and staff attorney, um, are you kind of de facto head of innovation, uh, at, at your organization, are you, uh, keeping an eye out for technology that you could bring in house to help better serve, uh, your clients? And alternatively, are you always on the lookout to, uh, build new products that, that the, you know, that that the Maryland volunteer lawyer service can use?
1: Yeah, so I, I'm definitely, I wear a lot of hats here at MVLS. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm, I'm the head of innovation. We actually have a lot of really innovative staff members here and, and pro bono attorneys who volunteer with us, and they've come up with some really great ideas. And it's kind of my pleasure to be able to implement those ideas and to say, yeah, you know, that's, that's actually really great. I don't know why we haven't, haven't done that yet. And so where my role really comes in is uh, either helping to kind of flush out some of those great innovative ideas and then to actually put them into practice, you know, what is required to make that idea happen? Do we need to set up a new server? Do we need to, you know, is there some backend coding? Does an app have to be built? And uh, a lot of that kind of uh, is really useful if you have a staff member who is also a coder. And so I've been trying to kind of, uh, you know, preach the gospel here of having an attorney coder on staff for almost every law firm. I think it's going to be the norm in 10 years. And I'm trying to Uh, show people that they can really get a lot of benefit by having a coder on staff. And um, kind of specifically with with my role, I'm also in charge of the expungement department here. And so uh, I kind of go back and forth between IT and then expungement and actually handling expungement cases and handling uh, trainings and setting up expungement clinics and things like that. And having that dual role where you have one foot in both the legal field and the IT field, really lends itself well to finding different innovative fixes uh, and, and streamlining things that kind of uh, cause a lot of gridlock.
0: We're seeing a lot of coders uh, at, at various firms, you know, being brought into various firms. You know, one of our earlier podcasts was with a partner at K&L Gates who talked about uh, coders being brought into that firm. Um, same thing over at Littler. Uh, Why do you think that's becoming such a trend? And why do you think it's so valuable to have, uh, uh, you know, coders or attorney slash coders working, um, you know, with uh, nonprofits like yours, as well as uh, law firms, small, medium size and large?
1: Yeah. So especially in nonprofit, I think it's vital. Uh, There's, just given the possible case volume that we could have, right? There's there's so many people that need legal assistance that, you know, if you build an app that can save 10% or shave 10% off of some process, you can help thousands of more people. And the great thing about building software is that it can then be spread to other nonprofits. And so usually the program or the application that works for your organization uh, can easily or somewhat Uh, with a little bit of tweaking be implemented in another organization as well. And so, especially in nonprofit, but even in the for-profit side, I think people have started to realize that uh, there's a lot of easy fixes out there to really help streamline different processes. And it's very hard to visualize unless you have people on staff who is one, that's their main job is to kind of specifically go out and look for these types of innovative solutions. And then, uh, Two, that you need to have kind of uh the ability to make those changes quickly and and uh, effectively on staff and i've I, you know i've uh, lots of people will have different contractors and freelancers they work with and i think that's great but i think the utility of having an actual staff member who you know when they build that app they're gonna build it in the right way because they're going to be the ones using it as well really uh brings out the most utility for that, that user.
0: Matthew, from your vantage point as a legal technologist who has built multiple pieces of software that have helped a lot of people who you know, weren't able to find help without what you built, what do you find most
1: encouraging in legal technology today? Yeah, so I think people are starting to finally realize that uh, this legal technology trend is, is about to really take off. And even from, you know, kind of my not so, my beginnings, which were just a few years ago, the the market has changed dramatically even since then. Uh, Explaining legal technology to people in 2013, 2014, uh, gets a much different response today than it did back then. Uh, So I am very hopeful that, that there is starting to be more funds allocated specifically to legal technology and specifically in the nonprofit arena. Uh, i see there's there's a lot more positions starting to open up in different law firms for IT roles attorney IT roles and i think that's that's very promising of, of what's going to come around and i forget the exact statistic but if i remember right uh, in the last year alone there's been more legal tech, uh, tech legal technology companies uh, created than in all the other years before that and so i'm very hopeful that uh, legal technology is going to keep progressing at this speed and we're going to see some really great innovative trends being created.
0: Matthew, I really enjoyed our discussion. Uh, I I really appreciate your, your perspective on a lot of these things as someone who has actually done it, um, gone out there into the field and, and created a lot of the legal tech that you wished, uh, you you know, actually existed. So I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on the modern lawyer podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. We always love hearing from you and we highly value your feedback. Reach out to me at onin at text.com, Tweet at us with the hashtag Modern Lawyer and check us out at modernlawyerpodcast.com. We hope you join us for our next episode. Special thanks to the Casetext team, especially our producer extraordinaire, Abby Hadidian. See you soon.